on episode six of the InsureTech Geek podcast, talking with the most interesting man in insurance, Rob Galbraith, Director of Innovation at AF Group. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives with our own research and development team in the technology that we see changing the insurance industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. Right. Welcome back for yet another episode of the InsureTech Geek Podcast. I'm your InsureTech Geek, James Benham, live from our studio here in beautiful College Station, Texas. That's right, it's God's country. We're talking about all things insurance tech with two people who live in Texas, myself and Mr. Rob Galbraith. Rob, how are you doing today? Not joining us from Texas. Correct. Yeah, good to be on, James. Really appreciate it. Super great to connect. Uh, yeah, I'm from San Antonio, but happen to be speaking to you today from uh, AF Group headquarters in Lansing, Michigan. Awesome. The other place that has the other part of my heart up there in Michigan. Now, you grew up uh, in Michigan, then you went to Michigan State, but then you came down here to God's country uh, and did, and did what, 20 years here in Texas, and you're still here. Yep, yep, absolutely. In fact, it's, it's uh, somewhat ironic, James, because this year, 2019, was the year that I was going to spend more time in Texas than Michigan. Uh, but I happen to have a job change. Uh, <laughs> I uh, worked for USA for almost 20 years in San Antonio and then started at AF Group uh, in uh, April, which is based in Lansing, Michigan. So I'm up here around one week every month. So Michigan's not going out without a fight, man. I, I tell you what, and it, and it shouldn't, especially not in the summer. You know, I just got back from my three months up there. I do June, July, and August in, in beautiful uh, southwest Michigan on the beaches there. And I had a I love Michigan in the summer, and I always have to qualify that. The fall, the, yeah, the summer's great. The fall's all right. Those other two seasons are kind of tough, though. Pretty brutal. Yeah, I, as a kid growing up, uh, I distinctly remember being outside of recess when everyone's making igloos and uh, throwing snowball fights and all that. I was like, when is recess over? This sucks. <laughs> I'm going inside. It's damn cold out here. Yeah, it's, this is too much. I need, I need heater. And and the, yeah. the the crazy thing is growing up in Michigan. So I married a girl from Michigan. That's how I ended up going there in the summers. Gr- you know, from what I hear, growing up in the '80s and going to school in the '80s and in, uh, in Michigan, uh, no air conditioning in most schools. Uh, so when it got hot, it got really hot. And uh, I'm told that uh, it took a whole lot to cancel school and a whole lot to not kick kids outside into recess. Yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Um, it's crazy. So we've actually, it has snowed twice in the 20 years that I've lived in San Antonio, one of which you could actually make a decent sized snowball out of. That's it. Um, but yeah, we've had four or five snow days because of ice and all that. Whereas, yeah, none of those would have been snow days. <laughs> they're like, they're like, suck it up and get outside. We don't care. So you went to high school in Michigan. You went to Michigan State. Now, when you went to Michigan State, did you say, I dream of a career in insurance. (laughs) 
I did not. Now, I know most people fall into insurance and have an interesting story. It's maybe a little bit more of a straight line for me than other people. Uh, so I'm an economics major. And actually, it just so happens I was on the campus of Michigan State today with a couple of folks from alumni relations talking about my book and whatever. And uh, they were asking if I knew a particular professor. And I was like, yeah, actually, I had him for freshman econ. And I was a general business major, and I remember going, he was the first professor I ever saw at office hours and had a question, whatever it was. And he started asking me about general business, and I was like, yeah, you know, I want to know everything there is to know about business. And he's like, well, that's not really a major. <laughs> he's like, you know, you got to go to finance or accounting or marketing. He's like, I don't want to pick. I don't want to pick. He's like, well, if you don't want to pick, then pick econ. <laughs> I'll do that. So that's how I become an economics major. And uh yeah, I did a little bit of banking, a little bit of finance, but most of my career has been in insurance. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. There's really not a lot of insurance programs in general in education. I mean, they exist, but they're few and far between. And uh, I, I don't know about Michigan State. I know Texas A&M doesn't have it. And it's always really baffled me with this, how, how large the insurance industry is, <laughs> that there's no, there's no like formal degree program, right? I mean, you look at most professions with multi-trillion dollar industry market caps and you go, Okay, well, there's a degree for that, right? I mean, you go to my, the other industry I work in, construction. There's a lot of degrees for construction and engineering. There's all kinds of degrees for finance and accounting and HR. There's, I mean, there's just there's degrees for just about every major profession. Almost none for this one. Yeah, I mean, so clearly there's been a growth in like the risk management and insurance programs across the country because people have recognized the need. But yeah, like even if every single guy got a job in insurance and never left, it wouldn't come close to filling the the talent gap, right, that we have. So yeah, it was kind of funny. They said that, that they uh, were having like a career fair, I guess, on on uh, campus at Michigan State. And they said it was going to be about insurance. And then, you know, everyone was commenting to them like, oh, I thought you wanted kids to show up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the top ranking lists of risk management degree programs, it's a bunch of schools that, well, you might have heard of one or two of them, but it's very interesting how many how many very small schools are the ones that have the dedicated insurance programs and the big powerhouses uh, are still trying to come to grips with the fact that this should probably be a degree program. We don't know, but let's keep let's keep talking. So you went to USA and you spent a long time in per, in personal lines uh, property, right? Yep. Yeah. So did a little bit of auto. Um, actually started out in kind of auto pricing after spending a little bit of time just uh, coding this or that. That was really kind of the skill I had back then. But I really wanted to get to the business side. So. Um, failed actuary. I <laughs> couldn't pass a single exam. Oh, five. no. Oh, no. Yeah. So I started in the pricing area, but I had gotten my CBCU first, actually. And the underwriting team at USA started um, an analytics shop in 2005. So the vice president that was in charge of that, he called me. He's like, Rob, you don't have to take those silly actuary exams anymore. You already got a CBCU. Well, come to the dark side, come to underwriting, help us build this analytics team. And so that's uh, where I found home. And, and that was, uh, you know, 15 of my 20 years was in that. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And and now you've made a pretty big jump to work comp. And I've just spent the last you know decade and a half in work comp. I mean, this, this is a, a swimming pool that is both very deep and very wide. How are you doing and are you coming up for air? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, so very, very different. Um, I'm learning every day. So for somebody that spent 20 years in the industry and wrote a book about insurance, coming to AF Group, learning the commercial side, learning uh, work comp, and, and there's you know a whole lot of other opportunities we're looking at. Um, things like wearables that we would have never you know touched with USA. Yeah, it's 
been, I was like, I don't know very much about insurance at all. So it's definitely been a, a steep learning curve, but good. It's actually kind of reinvigorated me that kind of um, realized what a multifaceted industry this is. And if you ever get tired or bored in one thing, there's so many other opportunities to switch it up. Like the, you just can't possibly know everything there is to know about insurance, even if you've been in the industry 40, 50 years. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. At a decade and a half, I still feel like I'm in, uh, I'm in like the elementary school of my insurance education because I'll hang out with some of my mentors in the insurance industry that are in their mid 60s, late 60s, who've been in the industry for 30 or 40 years, you know, easily two or three times as long as I've been in it. And I, I just, I learn a lot every time around. It's, it's why it, in insurance, I mean, with all professions, but especially in insurance because of how much on the job education there is and how little college degree education there is. I mean, you know, of the, of all the lines, I mean, even in a college degree program of risk management, they can't possibly cover all the details about all the different lines of coverage and all the little nuance there is to managing risk. Um, it helps to have some really good mentors. I'm, I'm hoping you've had some good mentors along the way in your career. Absolutely. And people look up to people I respect. And um, I feel like every leader I've had, good or bad, and I've had both, um, I've taken something away, right? Um, in terms of like, here's something I want to do and I want to make part of my leadership style, or here's something I don't want to do, right? Um, so yeah, but but it definitely by far many more, you know, good leaders, good mentors than bad for sure. That's awesome. So you're now leading innovation at AF Group. So you're director of innovation. What does that even mean at your company? Yeah, so it's a great question. So we got a small but mighty team. We help foster innovation throughout the enterprise. And it is an enterprise. It is a team sport. So we're not just the idea people. Everybody has ideas. So um, there's really a few things that we focus on. Uh, we focus primarily on three things. And then I'll kind of mention maybe the spirit. So we have uh, a core uh, market shaper culture here. Um, has four pillars. One of the four pillars is fostering innovation. So that is set an expectation for every single employee. And so we do a lot um, culturally. We have an insure tech week. We have employee innovation weeks. We have something known as the idea pipeline where we um, encourage employees to submit ideas. We also have a pipeline challenge every quarter on a business problem that um, you know an area has that we just want to get the collective brain power of the enterprise kind of focused on and we'll give away prizes for the top, top ideas, et cetera. Um, so first and foremost, it's really... Um, promoting that culture of innovation, knowing that that's the way that we're going to compete um, in the future. Um, we are over 110 years old. We used to be the state fund of Michigan for decades. We're a cop. We know it's required if you're the state fund, right? You're a government you know, organization. But then we privatized and we've expanded beyond the state boundaries of Michigan and we've gone uh, acquired other uh, brands. So we have several brands that all fall under the AF Group umbrella. Um, and now we're starting to actually break out of work comp into other uh, lines of business. We have a group called AF Specialty uh, that does a lot of uh, fronting agreements and captives and others. We do a company called Fundamental Underwriters that actually just rolled out commercial auto for the first time last year for us um, in the trucking space. And we're looking to add more products there. So um, it's kind of an exciting time to be here at AF Group. Um, so um, in addition to kind of fostering that culture of innovation and kind of helping drive our business results. Um, we focus on technology enablement. So not tech for tech's sake, uh, but how can we leverage all this emerging tech that's coming out here um, in our business, either our existing lines or, or new lines or help um, automation, reduce expenses, reduce losses, help our loss control folks, our claims folks, et cetera. And then there's business model innovation. 
Uh, so we're actually rolling out a new digital distribution platform for independent agents that uh, we love. Um, but we know that um, many of them digitally market today. Um, and so this is a way to, particularly for the small and micro segment, for them to actually go online and possibly even get a, a bindable quote to only start the process online. Um, this is kind of an expectation that consumers have today. We know there's digital agents and others, so um, something our agents have asked us for. And so we're going to be rolling that out in December of this year. Well, what, and then so, uh, product uh, innovation. With, with the pause there. With the pause there, yep. so tell me what that experience is going to be like because we're, you know work comp's a B two B insurance product, right? And and the ability to just go online and get price quotes and bind a policy without talking to a human and doing it directly digital is still in its infancy in the B two B work comp space. So walk yep. me through what that's going to look like. All digital, like you're gonna you're going to uh, push it through underwriting, bind the policy. You're gonna inbound all the initial request data, push, uh, you know, request for information back and forth through the portal. I mean, is this going to be a fully digital experience and workflow? It will be. Um, now, there are definitely going to be some referrals, right? Some where it's more of an intake, and then it kind of reverts over to the traditional agent channel, and there'll be some back and forth. Um, but for particular classes, uh, we're starting with uh, quite a few that we think we can do straight through processes in terms of underwriting, quoting, et cetera. And we're hoping to expand that over time. Yes, it would actually be a straight through. Now, um, it would be hosted, um, uh, you know, connected with an agent's uh, website or an agency. And so that agent would um, be servicing the policy just like they would if they acquired it through right, the traditional channel, going to their office, et cetera. But in the past, like where an agent might put an ad in the phone book or, you know, have you submit their business cards for a free lunch drawing or whatever, we know more and more our agents are out there um, using Google AdWords, right? Facebook, Instagram, others. And so because they're um, able to target market in the digital channel, um, you know, they're kind of attracting business that way. Uh, many businesses in the small and micro segment, um, it's actually very costly for an agent to come in to go through the entire process, right? In their office, key in all that information, et cetera quote it, get the commission, they're actually losing money on these policies. So from a carrier perspective, they can be you know, very profitable. We know, you know roughly 60% of the market is small business and everyone defines small business a little bit differently. But from a carrier perspective, it's very profitable. Uh, but from an agent perspective, um, especially acquiring the business, right, it can be very expensive and not very profitable. And really as an agent perspective, you're looking to build a long-term relationship with that customer, hopefully you know, build into other lines of business, et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't always happen. So we kind of are saying, hey, our customers are already going on Google, searching work comp. They've been told they need it or they're not sure if they need it or not. They're not sure what the state requirements are, et cetera, et cetera. So they're doing their homework online. We have agents that are marketing their agencies online. Why not help bridge the gap and actually allow folks to start the process at worst? And at best, actually, quote, and buying coverage without it actually having to be physically touched by an agent. Yeah, but is the fact that they're going to have to self-service all this going to be reflected in their premium? Like, if they're going and doing all the work, is that going to are you are you gonna, are, is your goal to make brokers more profitable, or drop premium for customers, or just streamline the customer interaction? Like, what's the what's the end game? Yeah, so I think it's really um, providing uh, the best service to these customers in a way that agents can profitably service them, right? So, you know, in terms of like commissions, premiums, et cetera, all that's kind of staying the same today. Now we'll see, right, as, as business kind of gets written through the channel, how it performs, what makes sense. But it's really just um, trying to make the acquisition easier for all parties. So 
Um, this is kind of what uh, certain customer bases are, are looking to do. They're used to it in other fields. And there's other companies that are out there doing it uh, today. So there's some startups that are um, out there that are advertising this. Other companies have, have uh, gone digital as well. So um, you know, we think that our capabilities are going to be a little bit more advanced than some of our competitors. But we're not the first ones out there in the marketplace today that are um, you know, trying to bring a digital experience to work on. No, you're not the first ones, but it's still, at least from my exposure to it, it's still not the norm. It's still in the minority of a direct digital experience, right? I mean, even in, even with my own, yep. my, even in my own experience, my own business, I'm I'm generally sent a PDF and asked to fill it out by a broker. <laughs> so yeah, it's, and, I mean, right. it's so, pretty, so, yeah, it's pretty pathetic. We, we hear that too, right? What's yeah. your digital experience? Oh, my form is a PDF. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. It's um. it, it's like <laughs> it's, it's like a pathetic version of a digital version. It's like I. I'm like, well, you just did an analog to digital conversion. You actually didn't create a digital experience. You know, like it's you you used the <laughs> you used a paper equivalent on a computer rather than digitizing the experience. To me, one of the things that people like you have to really drive into an organization is an understanding that taking in a, a taking a paper spreadsheet and turning it into an Excel spreadsheet or taking a paper form and turning it into a PDF is not actually creating a digital experience. You're just using a digital tool to use the same workflow as your paper, which in often cases is extremely inefficient. You know, it, it, you're not you're not actually digitizing a process. You know, so. yeah. So this is this is uh, you're exactly right, and and so you know, we've gotten input from our agents. Uh, we've actually st- uh, started a customer experience team um, at AF Group. We've hired. Um, uh, Customer Experience Manager from JD Power, uh, which is one that does all the kind of surveys and the ratings and the scorings uh, earlier this year, and are doing journey maps to just to really understand all the processes and the pain points for customers to help build um, customer experience. A lot of people don't think of customer experience and work comp necessarily together, but um, we're really focused on that from a variety of perspectives, right? From the agent's perspective, from the policyholder's perspective, and from the injured worker's perspective, and. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, uh, pre-filling some of the information. So that's absolutely part of the digital distribution that's going to have some pre-fill capabilities. There's also going to have some education out there, some research. So, um, you know, what is it? What are my state requirements? Talking about different classes of business. Um, you know, we feel like it's very important to educate um, the, the consumer that's out there. And again, this is an opportunity for our agents to be able to put some, some uh, branding, um, to kind of talk about their agency out there in a way that um, if somebody is doing kind of the research online, they would find this if they want to call and go, you know, have a meeting in the agent's office or, or do business traditional way they can, um, because they'll get some of that information just from looking online. Uh, but if they want to start the process, they'll have that ability as well. Yeah. The other, by the way, I, I cut you off before you got to tell me your last initiative that you're working on. Yeah. So uh, product innovation is the is the is the third one. So. Um, you know, we kind of talk about the tech enablement that kind of, you know, builds up, right? Everything else. We talked about the business model innovation, so product innovation. And as I mentioned, um, you know, starting a, a brand new company, um, we've put it on, on Guidewire um, and are kind of going through a, a digital transformation ourselves. Um, so uh, bringing Guidewire, we brought it into the claims organization first, um, working on the, the policy side um, and the agent portal uh, as well. Um, and so that's a, a long-term project, right? Just to upgrade over those old legacy mainframe systems, it's going to enable a lot of capabilities. It can be painful transition, 
Um, but it's it's necessary to bring our organization into the 21st century, as with many other carriers. Um, and so, um, what's cool about you know putting kind of new products in the marketplace, um, and again, those can take a variety of different flavors. Is um, you know trying to be a really nimble organization. So we've identified a lot of areas of opportunity um, through talking with agents, through feedback from our business development consultant. Um, you know, others, right? We all kind of are in this space and we, we hear different things and, and uh, see competitors, right, reacting. And so um, agility, nimbleness, flexibility, this is all stuff that we talk about day in, day out. It's easier said than done. And so, um, but that that's what we want to get to. We want to be able to actually bring two to four new products to market every year. Um, when we socialize that inside our walls, it sounds like a lot for somebody that's traditionally been a, a single product, right? Work comp uh, for most of its history. Um, but yet uh, my boss, Abel Travis, um, is kind of known for uh, being an innovator and a thought leader in this space. He'll tell you in other organizations, he's been in places where they brought 15 to 20 new products to the marketplace every year. Um, so it can be done. And so yeah. bringing that discipline to AF group is something we're really excited about. Well, and it's not, it's not just a discipline. It is a set of disciplines. It's also a mentality and a complete culture shift. Because the sheer inertia of doing nothing grips a lot of insurance carriers, right? Where you're like, oh, no, we've always done it this way, or it's so hard to roll a new product line out, or we can only do one a year. And then you almost have to have someone who's who's seen it work before to say, no, no, like legitimately, we have the ability to do this. <laughs> we can do it. You know, you have to set bold, audacious goals. I mean, um, a- Abel Travis, so he he's the vice president of underwriting and product innovation, right? So he's looking across all products and all underwriting. And then you focus on a whole bunch of different initiatives, right? I think one thing that'd be interesting for our listeners is the di- the differentiation between an innovation group and a technology group, because there's a lot of technology used in innovation, but you have a CIO, right? That's not in the innovation group. We do. We partner actually very closely with our IT team, and um, we've actually had some really robust conversations this year about exactly this this uh, point. So. A um, couple of points I'll make. Number one, many IT organizations, there is you know very um, strict process in terms of governance, in terms of how does a project get approval, get funded, how does it get shepherded through IT, right? IT is a very, um, it's a limited resource, it's a critical resource, and so you've got to manage it um, really tightly. And so lots of organizations kind of have ways to manage their IT resources at a high level. Um, that doesn't always lead to a lot of opportunity to explore new technologies, kick the tires, play with different things, right? Um, kind of see what's out there or even bring your head up from your laptop to kind of, you know, see what are some of the latest insure techs out there? What are they offering? What's the compelling value prop? Um, and also, um, they don't always get the chance to interact with the business. So they may be gathering requirements and talking about use cases for a particular application in a particular area. But um, they don't necessarily that broad line of sight to say, hey, this technology is broadly applicable in the many different areas of the business. And so that's really where we come in as an innovation team. Um, we actually used to be part of the IT organization, but there was a recognition that um, this goes beyond just kind of tinkering um, with kind of some new tech, you know, Apple Watch came out or Oculus Rift goggles. Um, and so, um, you know, it's really about kind of enabling the business and allowing them to do um 
all the things that they want to do in terms of uh, increased revenue, lowering expenses, uh, you know, bringing down losses, et cetera. So it really needs to drive a business outcome, not just be tech for tech's sake. Yeah. So you almost need a second career path in insurance organizations for insurance technologists to be different and parallel to information technologists because you you have an innovation and insurance technology group that really largely deals with technology and its application to, to current and new business lines. And then you have information technology that has to make sure that infrastructure, of course, in the modern insurance organization, security happens to be one of the top mandates of an IT organization. But you, you, you have to deal with security and infrastructure and rollout, um, connectivity, hardware, desktop support, um, application support and growth. I mean, there's so much. So much. There's so, so much. much. Yeah. I mean, a modern infotech organization in insurance is they're paranoid they're going to get hacked every day. They're trying to deal with massive, massive rollout budgets for claims and policy management systems and ERP systems. They're trying to keep those under control and on track. They're trying to develop all the custom applications, roll out new mobile. And they have all of these, you know, it's a, it's a big game of whack-a-mole sometimes because they, they have all these things they're trying to do on a on a rather on a, on a, of course a, you know there's no budget that's unlimited they have a limited budget and and then you you have to have a dedicated set of people that are that are popping their head up above the forest and saying what's the big shift like oh my gosh there are tech companies that are turning themselves into carriers how is that going to impact us right i mean that's the that's to me the the ultimate disruption it's not necessarily just the the um, software vendors that are selling to the current insurance companies it's the software and technology organizations that say you know what let's just carry the risk forget about selling our tech to other people let's just use our own tech carry the risk and compete on the market because that's the you know that's the amazon to our business right is absolutely that non-traditional competitor we talk about that all the time yeah absolutely well, and, and people and, say it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when oh, right? it's, it's, of it's not a matter of LinkedIn when posts and debates on it yeah yeah well it's not a matter of when they're here it's already here right I right mean, yeah so yeah, yeah. there there are already tech companies that carry risk they already exist they're already competing in the property market they're already competing in the auto market they're already competing in the drone insurance market. I mean, I, I, we, I can run through and run through a whole list of technology companies that have decided to carry risk. And, you know, so it's not even, it's not even if or even when, it's now. And so that's, that's what's interesting for, and, and you know, the, what's interesting for your company is your legacy as a state organization. And then having gone privatized, there's a lot of baggage there to overcome, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we uh, grew, we really grew quickly, but all those mergers and acquisitions, right, take time, take time to process. They're not necessarily in the same systems, to your point. Um, just the cultures are very different. And so trying to find the right balance uh, from an enterprise standpoint, that was something that I think was a big change for me coming from USA, where there actually technically are different companies based on your um, eligibility, whether you're an officer, whether you're enlisted, whether you're a you know, child or a grandchild, or spouse, uh, things like that. But they all were kind of the same, right? A lot of that complexity was kind of like, if you're a USA member, you're a USA member, you're going to get great service and get the same access to the same kind of suite of products. Whereas at AF Group, some of our brands are our you know flagship accident fund uh, brand. We've got Comp West that uh, handles California and several states out west. A very similar risk appetite to uh, accident fund. Um, United Heartland specializes in a lot of medical, larger um, employers. Does an amazing job with loss control. Very innovative organization. Um, we've got our our third coast underwriters. Um, that does a lot kind of in the, the middle part of the country, um, specializing in different types of risks. So 
um, yeah, it's it's just real interesting that each brand has its own unique identity and different risk appetite. So even though they're all writing comp, it's in kind of um, different space, different territories. Like there's a lot of nuance to it. And so I'm trying to understand when do we need to standardize things from an enterprise and kind of say this is the best practice that you know we'd like everyone to adopt versus when do we kind of say, hey, you run your business, you've been running your business for you know a long time, very successfully. We want to stay out of your way. Just, you know, what do you need from us to support you? Gotcha. Let's talk about big data and public data. Because yeah. because this plays a massive role in the current and future tech of insurance, particularly on underwriting and then secondarily on claims. The dream is to be able to underwrite risk without having to ask a 20-page questionnaire. The dream is to be able to pull from both public and private paid and free data sources that allow you to create a picture of risk without having to ask 50 million questions. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a couple initial thoughts on that, right? Number one, um, it's continuous underwriting too. So not just at point of sale, not just at renewal. Every day. If anything ever changes, right? Exactly. Like, you know, something changes about this risk yesterday. I know about it today. That would be the ideal goal. And um, it's, um, there's a lot of things in our, our world we we kind of all put under our umbrella that we call frictionless underwriting, right? right? So we gather all this information. Do we even use it, right? Is it meaningful anymore? Prove to me that it has value, right? So um, the I, the big irony for people that aren't in the insurance um, industry uh, that I think everyone's surprised to find out is that insurance companies that specialize in risk tend to be very risk adverse, right? Uh, particularly underwriters, so they don't want to give up the questions or they don't want it, right? So <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You mean people who deal in risk don't want to take risk? Don't want to take risk. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So that's a great irony, right? That's because right? they know the downside, bud. <laughs> Well, that's true. So and this is a story that I, I, I tell from my USA days. So I remember we used to have an underwriting guideline that we won't write a vet clinic in a mobile home. And I was like, why do we have this rule in the books? We don't write vet clinics, right? We don't do commercial. We don't write mobile homes. Like, why is this? A, it's like, well, you know, there was that one claim years ago that we had a vet clinic in a mobile home. We didn't know we had it. So somebody said, never again. We're never going to pay out a claim on a vet clinic in a mobile home. This needs to be, you know, a rule, right? Man law. Boom, put it in. So you're right. Once you see those downsides, right? It's like, oh my gosh, you know. Um, and that's you know, it's always funny to, to see the, the interplay between underwriting and claims, like you were saying. So, like from a claims perspective, you're like, who put this on the books? This is a nightmare, right? What are those guys in underwriting doing? And then in underwriting, you're like, why are you paying this claim, <laughs> right? Like, we don't know that from the contract. And well, you paid them more than the limit, right? What's going on? Yeah. So, so do you see wearables and satellite tracking? photogrammetry, job site cameras, completely changing the dynamic of work comp and the ability to not just underwrite before the policy is bound, but real-time underwrite the risk? Yeah, I do. And that's, that's the long-term vision for sure. And um, and that goes back when you were kind of asking about bringing premiums down or whatnot, right? I think that's the um, that would be the the ultimate hope is to say, hey, we're actually helping you make your workplace safer and that's being rewarded by reduced premiums, right? And so, um, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Uh, we actually have a, a wearables pilot in AF Group uh, with a company called Make You Safe. Um, so we actually had them installed here at AF Group headquarters um, over the summer and asked some of our folks in shipping and receiving and our security team and records team to kind of wear them and, and kind of you know, get comfort. Is it interfering with your job? You know, try to collect some data. Um, and just deployed it to uh, our first uh, policyholder, a manufacturing facility, 
uh, in the, around the Fort Wayne, Indiana um, uh, area last week. So we're really excited and kind of interested to hear how their experience goes with it. And, and I can tell you that you know many of the policyholders we spoke to are very interested in this technology. Uh, and you know the analogy that I use is that it's it's not biometric. It's not capturing anything you know like about the person, right? But it's really capturing all the stuff around them. So you might work on a factory floor and the temperature in the wall says it's seventy two degrees. But you in particular, maybe your job happens to be between two really large pieces of machinery and it's very hot and your personal temperature is like 88 degrees, right? So maybe you need more breaks, maybe you need more hydration, et cetera, um, noise levels, things like that. It, it's capturing all these kind of environmental variables. And so as a safety manager, you can monitor all the employees real time. You could go on the floor, you could say that somebody needs a break or um, you know, maybe install something from an equipment standpoint to, to make their job a little bit easier. Um, you can do ergo things. I mean, there's so much that you can do, right? Whereas you know, typically in the past, it's like if somebody were to slip and fall, they don't necessarily want to go tell the safety manager and the safety manager isn't necessarily going to, they may have to record that for OSHA requirements, whatever, but they're not necessarily going to tell their insurance carrier. Well, now all those kind of near misses we know. So we can say, hey, people slipped in this area over the last month. Nobody reported a claim. Thankfully, nobody had a serious injury, but clearly this is an area that you know, has a higher probability of a slip and fall. We need to do something to address that now, not after somebody has a serious injury. Yeah. Uh, we we did some really great pilots with a, a couple of wearable solutions. And, and one in particular I was a big fan of, Spotter by Triax, was by, by far when we really tested it in the field, came out with the best results for slip, trip, fall detection, worker location detection, the ability for, it's a two-way messenger too, so they can push a button and it, it's like a, I've fallen and can't get up button. So there's, there, and they, they even proved that they could evacuate a building in five minutes instead of 11 by using it. That's amazing. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've tried others out. There's one called Kinetic that um, you kind of put it on your hip like an old school uh, pager, right? That's, that's what Spotter, Spotter's a pager, yeah. Yeah, if you bend at your back instead of bending your knees, like it gives you a little jolt. It's almost like a little electric <laughs> collar, right, for your dog. Whereas if you bend your knees, or if you're lifting something overhead, if you lift it overhead, that's fine. But if you're lifting and twisting your back kind of to the side, right, then it gives you a little yeah. buzz, right? So there's all sorts of different... And so we think there's... Um, you know, it's still in its infancy. There's going to be a lot more. The other thing that I want to mention, you touched on this. Um, so cameras, right? Cameras are deployed throughout all sorts of different organizations. Um, but those cameras are, are what I would say are, are dumb cameras today. So I'll give you a personal example. When I was at USA, in a very infamous case, um, I was in our Phoenix office and happened to be running late to get on the shuttle to go back to the airport to go back to San Antonio. So I was running thinking I was going out of an open door, which in fact was a window. So I um, knocked myself out, uh, had to go to the hospital, had a massive concussion. Thankfully, right, not a, a more serious injury. So uh, Liberty Mutual happened to be the work comp provider for USA. And so they had to review, there was a video of this incident in the lobby. And so they reviewed it to see, is there anything from a safety perspective we could do? They actually put a, a cactus in front of the window. So everyone kind of joked, was it Rob's cactus now, right? You know, thank you, Rob, for the natural oh <laughs> way go back and visit. So that camera is, is, is dumb. It captured that moment, but somebody had to go back and say, okay, Rob hit his head on Tuesday at 4 p.m. So let's go back to the videotape and look at that now, right? So um, there's uh, people working on this problem right now where they're actually putting AI behind those cameras. So sure. it actually knows what a normal uh, passage in and out of the door looks like. It knows what a slip and fall looks like. It knows what a what kind of a smack, you know, smack into the window looks. And so um, it's actually capturing all of those and recording those and can tell you 
hey, we didn't have an incident where some guy ran through a window and knocked his head out, but we actually saw you know, 20 people, right, had a slip and fall, um, and nobody reported anything, but yet we're capturing it with the camera and AI and recording that, and we can do something to, to make it safer. I had many people tell me that they accidentally worked into the window. It wasn't a big deal because they were just walking. Maybe they were looking at their phone while they were walking, or they thought it was the door. Um, nobody was running at a full sprint like I was, but you know, had those incidents been recorded earlier, people bumping into the windows, maybe that cactus would have been there. Maybe I wouldn't have hit my head. So I've had a concussion twice. They are no fun, and particularly from plate glass. Uh, tell you what, that is uh, that sucks. But uh, <laughs> the good news, <laughs> good news is you you recovered and they improved. Um, we've seen some really interesting technology out there. Like uh, there's a software product called Reconstruct that will recreate every day in a building and then we'll automatically look at worker gate and um and worker movement patterns and just from the camera can tell you if they're lifting improperly if they're running it it does all of that analysis um it's it's pretty pretty fascinating tech so there's a there's a good deal of tech out there doing this and i'm i'm fired up about it they're using some pretty good deep learning and machine learning algorithms it's it's a you know, specific form of AI, everybody keeps thinking when we say AI that we're talking about general AI, like HAL or something else from 2001 A Space Odyssey, and that's just not here, and it's not going to be here for 20 or 30 years. But the specific forms of AI we have right now are still delivering some exciting results. Um, and, uh, of course, I, I guess in as, as head of, as director of innovation, and I know you have, you you work for uh, for Able, and I'm sure you and Able see a whole lot of marketing fluff that when you peel the covers back, <laughs> when you, yeah. peel, you know, there's, there's my favorite, did, did you like Scooby-Doo as a kid? Did you watch? Scooby-Doo? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, so I, I watch Scooby-Doo all the time, and there's my, one of my, my favorite cartoons about AI is one of the Scooby-Doo characters holding his hand on a person wearing a ghost. Uh, you remember how they would always chase ghosts in Scooby-Doo? Right. And, <laughs> and uh, he's holding his hand on a, on, a, on a person wearing a ghost costume, and then he lifts, and, and the costume says AI, and he lifts it up, and the person's blank face says, if then, underneath it. And like for, for those of I've, I've been writing code since 1991, so to me that's an absolutely hilarious joke, because the reality is a lot of people that are marketing as having AI systems really just have conditional statements yeah. that they programmed in. There's there's no actual machine learning going on. Um, they're they're coding in every potential condition, and then uh, I even saw a chat bot at an insur- an insurance conference last year that was a quote unquote. I'm going to use air quotes around the word chat bot because. <laughs> It was literally just an ANSI text interface to their software where you had to pick items from a menu. Like there was no free text discussion with a chatbot. It was literally Oh in, wow. Like it was in and, and this is it's not my first time seeing this. I've seen several of these quote unquote chatbots that use quote unquote AI. And all all they did is they wound the clock back 30 years to like 1986 and built a text terminal interface to a software program. And then you would say, you know, pick option one, two, or three. Well, man, I coded that in GW Basic 1990, right? I mean, like, I, that's how we built software back in the day was a text interface and select menu items. And, and so as a software developer, it's insulting, right? But, I, you know, as someone who's leading innovation in, in, in the industry, it's got to be frustrating for you to see so much marketing BS really take away from the real tech. There's a lot of really good vendors out there that are building some really good tech. It's got to be a little frustrating to see some of that because I'm sure you peeled the covers back on many of these and didn't like what you saw. Yeah, you're right. No, it's actually... So So uh, some of it's actually 
hilarious. Like um, I've been through many bad pitches. Um, so, uh, you know, those are, they're, they're some that are comically bad. Right. But the ones that I think are, are tough is when it's like, man, they're saying all the right words they're telling you all the right things. Like, this is exactly what you're kind of looking for. You're assuming this thing works like, man, you know, you're really, really excited. And then oftentimes it's not even getting to the proof of concept or pilot phase. Um, you may be headed down that path, but then when you kind of say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll pass you the sample down and let's see what you come up with. And it's like, uh, well, actually it doesn't do what I told you to do. And oh, it has a lot more limitations than I originally created, right? Those are the ones that are really frustrating because it feels like a bait and switch, right? Where it's like, oh, wait a minute now, you know, you told me it was going to do this, this, and this. And so um, kind of overselling your capabilities or overstating it, like, oh, yeah. never cool. So if you're an insure tech vendor out there or whatever, like, yeah, don't do cool. it. You tell me what's on your development roadmap. If you can't do it today, you can't do it today. That's fine. If you're kind of, hey, we've thought about that. That's in a future release, or that's good feedback. We'll consider that, or we can cut. Right, that's fine. I'm happy to have a dialogue on it. But, but, and then you're right. Like, unfortunately, that takes away from the real deal. And, and sometimes the real deal is not the sexiest presentation, right, or your pitch, and it's not the sexiest marketing, whatever. And you know, I've talked to some companies, some startups that I really believe in their business i you know believe in their 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 ceo and their leadership team or whatever but they're not necessarily getting the investment love or the hype or whatever and i'm always asking them about oh, why don't you just throw out some ai words or whatever you know kind of pitch um yeah it's tough it's tough because it's the market and, and they 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 want to be true to this is our company this is what we do we don't oversell it or whatnot or overhype it um, I've talked to companies where, like, internally, I was selling this at, at USA. I kept talking about machine learning, right, and and deep learning, and you know, we need them. They're doing all this. They're doing this deep learning stuff, blah blah blah. And you know, they would kind of correct me, like, "Well, we are using deep learning, but it's one of several techniques that we're using, along with blah 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 blah." blah. And I kept telling them, like. Yeah, nobody cares about that. They only care about deep learning. Like, so you know, it's not that you're not using deep learning. You are. You're also just using a half dozen other things. But like, let's just stick with deep learning. <laughs> like, yeah. As I socialize, that's good enough. That gets people's attention. We go from there. That's awesome. This this is a, a great discussion. I have to ask about the future now, right? So this is kind of our looking forward, a wrap up of this conversation. I've heard about what you're working on now. Next five years. Like what do you what do you see coming? Let's say, let's do a little futurism here. What do you see coming down the pipe? I, I think there'll actually be a lot of companies. I, I think the the playing field just in general is going to be a lot clearer in five years. I could be wrong about this. I think as this technology matures, as some of these startups mature, some will have successful partnerships with carriers. Others, I think, may not, but may become successful competitors with carriers. Um, there's so much going on in the distribution space and automation space, others. So um, I think that the winners and losers will shake out. It'll become clear like who the industry leaders are across the spectrum and all these kind of emerging technologies. Um, and I think they're going to become a lot more mainstream. And one of the things when I talk to audiences, if I talk to like an insure tech startup community or somebody that works in innovation, like it is truly preaching to the choir. You know, I talk about my book, The Innovation Insurance as we know it talk about some of the key points, they lap it up. When I talk to what I consider my people, like a traditional audience of casual actuary society or the chartered property casualty underwriters, you know, and other more traditional audiences, um, I've met with a lot of skepticism. There's usually like a couple of, you know, fans of diehard people that are like pumping my hand like super hard afterwards. They loved your talk. But I see it on people's faces, like they're really skeptical. And it's because their day-to-day hasn't changed, right? And so to your point about the, oh, yeah, we digitized, we put the form in PDF online, 
Um, there's a lot of folks that it's like, I'll believe it when I see it. And I think five years from now, it will affect many more people in the industry where they will see it. And so I always tell people, you know, agents, others, like, you know, if you're an agent, you're not going to be replaced. We've been talking to the demise of insurance agent for 20, 30 years, right? But if you're not leveraging technology, right, you are going to be at risk. So, um, and that's true of any job, right? So if you um, leverage technology, if you um, work with technology, if you're willing to adapt and change, you'll be fine. We need lots of those folks. But if you're stuck to the status quo in the same way of doing whatever it is, claims, underwriting, pricing, you're going to have a hard time five to 10 years from now because these emerging technologies are only going to mature. They're only going to get um, uh, more permissive or more pervasive in, in um, throughout the industry. Um, and it's going to be the new normal. And that's why I wrote the book because I was in meetings and I kept leaving meetings the last two, three years, seeing this new tech. They're like, Oh my God, like I just saw the glimpse of the future. That's what insurance is going to look like 10 years from now. It's all the manual stuff, the paper-based stuff, whatever. Those days are numbered. Now, they may not come as fast as we want them to come in some areas, right? Um, but in five to 10 years, I think it's going to be a whole lot more um, streamlined process. And, and quite frankly, more focus on the customer, on claims, on the human side of insurance, the, the empathetic side, the touch point side, which I think is a good thing for all folks involved. I agree with you. I think that we're also going to see a dramatic shift in data gathering. You know, when you combine satellite technology, drone tech, and public and private data source availability, I think that claims investigations are going to radically change. I think that underwriting is going to radically change. I think the client experience and getting policies, they'll be able to buy policies by the minute, by the hour, by the day, by the week, by the year. They'll be able to buy it directly on their phone, charge it to Apple Pay. Like that's, I, I think that's really, it's the consumerization of enterprise tech in a big way. I've already seen it starting to happen to some of the commercial products I have. Like even my commercial drone insurance, I buy by the hour, by the location through Verify, right? And it's a radically different way than I buy the rest of my, like my cyber policy or my, you know, or my general liability or probably, and I, I, I'm seeing it happen slowly but surely. Well, I don't know about Verify, but I've, I've talked to um, folks at Google, actually, they were working with a drone insurer in the UK called Flock, where, yeah, they look at the model you have, right? They look at historic information, losses, et cetera. But they also look at what are the current weather conditions? What are the wind speed? Is it rainy? Is it sunny? How many other drones are in the air? What else is in the air, right? Is it 20 mile an hour winds? Like, um, what's the history of this operation? Yep. So they're taking into account a lot of real-time information um, to create that real-time pricing algorithm, right? It's not just based on, you know, what's the experience the last three to five years and drove losses and let's project forward. Cyber kind of works the same way too, right? In terms of, or certainly should work this way, where the cyber threat changes hourly, minutely. So, you know, what the cyber threat's been over the last three to five years may not be anything like what the cyber threat's going to be you know, from now, right, to next Tuesday or whatever. And so if you see a spike in whatever suspicious activity, like maybe your cyber cover should go up in price, right? So I, I think you're right, like more on demand, um, more in the moment, more customization. And then the, the one thing that I, I believe in, and I know this is, uh, you know, a hot topic for debate. So I am a blockchain believer. Um, there are so many parties to an insurance transaction, not just the agent, not just the policyholder, um, you know, not just a, a claimant, right, but so many medical providers, TPAs, right? And so um, what makes the internet powerful 
is that there's one of them. There's not 30 internets, there's not 300 internets, there's not 3,000, there's one and we're all connected to it. And so there are folks like the Risk Stream Collaborative that the Institute's put it on is simply trying to bring you know, carriers and other big parties together to do just that, whether that be brokers, reinsurers, et cetera. Um, and so there's lots of different use cases for blockchain, right? Um, but if there was essentially one blockchain 10 years from now and all this information was verified, like, you know, you come to me and you want insurance and I just said, James, pass me your blockchain. Okay, I got it. Here you go. Here's your quote. Because like, to your point, all the information already there. It's already verified. Yeah. You don't have to check with anybody, right? Um, the, 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 the cost potential is, is massive. And, and I talk about this in my keynotes, right? So think about credit cards for a minute. Hey, if I have a loss, I could put it on a credit card right now. Now, if it's not a hundred thousand dollars, right? That like that is a way I could absorb you know smaller losses, and I don't have to pay insurance premiums. I only pay for the loss when I actually have it. Not the ninety percent of the time I don't have it. I have some flexibility in terms of paying it back. And you know, if you think about credit cards, there's high regulatory right um, compliance that you have to deal with. There's a large bank, then there's Visa and Mastercard. There's lots of fraud, right? And the interchange fee is only three percent. Like so, every time you swipe your card, it only costs three percent of the transaction price so insurance it's closer to 30 percent in terms of an expense ratio and i don't think we'll ever get down to three percent but why is insurance 10 times higher well it's because of all these validations and these checks and this claims investigation and all this underwriting referral right like if i got rid of all that stuff maybe i could get it down to high single digits right and that would cut just an enormous amount of cost out of the system so i think blockchain is a huge potential to be a big part of that puzzle. Yeah, my I mean my desire for for blockchain is just to start with something simple. We have a product called Smart Compliance that does certificate of insurance um, issuance and collection. Can we just get a policy blockchain please so we don't have to use yeah. so we don't have to use accord policy forms? Like really? Please. Can we just have a policy blockchain that everybody has? I mean, it's it's insanity how analog and archaic the process of documenting what what coverage you have and then sending it to people is and, and blockchain would definitively solve this problem like with in my mind you know this is an opinion without a doubt it would by the way side note i have to tangent for just a second technically we only have one internet uh in march putin said that he wants to <laughs> he wants to isolate russia and put oh, it and, geez, and put no. it and put it on its own uh, on its own internet. Oh my gosh. And then and then you could technically say that Tor and the dark web is it was, it's like, all kind of fun things that go on with the internet. Oh but even the dark web operates over internet infrastructure. But there are some uh, very interesting political leaders talking about creating their own their own internets. But of course, it would be a travesty for the for the world if that happened. Um, blockchain, we've seen it solving all kinds of really practical problems in the world. As an old coder, to me, it's just a giant encrypted link list. Uh, one of the first things you had to learn in the early 90s in software development for data storage was this thing called linked list. And that's essentially what blockchain is with public key encryption. I'm oversimplifying it, but it, it's really remarkably logical once you say, oh, yeah, well, why have we had that forever? And and then you look at the number of industries that are starting to leverage it, like the maritime and shipping industry right now. Yep. I mean, absolutely. I mean, like provident material provenance through blockchain is absolutely um, critical. It needs to happen now. It needs to happen everywhere, and they're starting to use it pretty quickly. And it's encouraging to see adoption rates on blockchain and seeing people being willing to separate Bitcoin, which uh, which yes operates on blockchain, but 
you know, it's irrelevant. I always ask people to set your cur- set your feelings about digital currency versus fiat currency aside for a second and look at the underlying technology and what it can do to really radically change the insurance business. Yeah, let me tell you a quick story about blockchain, if you don't mind, James. So um, so we had an intern this summer. Uh, we had two interns, Alex and Angela. They are both finishing their college freshman year, both brilliant. So Alex worked on exploring blockchain for us this summer. And so I had to sit down with her at the end. This is my 19-year-old intern, mind you. Okay, this is somebody that normally I would be like, uh, I take my coffee, two creams, please, right? And I'm like, okay, explain this blockchain thing to you one more time, right? And so she's going through it. It was just blowing my mind. So she's teaching me, somebody that's 45, 20 years in the industry, right? I've been in the industry longer than she's been alive. Right? But she's educating me on blockchain and the applications. And now she was a member of the blockchain club at the University of Michigan, and she actually got a leadership position as a freshman. And uh, she said, yeah, it was like a lot of turnover. A lot of people left the club. And I'm like, ooh, you know, gossip, right? Like, you know, what's going on with the blockchain club? Is it a bunch of anarchists or whatever? <laughs> and she's like, no. She's like, these are kids that are dropping out of school to go to work on Wall Street for six-figure income. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, well, Alex, why are you here? Right? We don't pay interns six-figure. And she's like, no, 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 I believe in my degree. I want to finish it through or whatever. But so to your point, this is a real thing, right? Um, yeah. This is a real technology that's coming. It's coming fast. And so many people are skepticism because of Bitcoin, whatever. I hear so much resistance more so than anything else. I mean, I just tell people, look, you know, all I can give you is an, you know, a semi-informed opinion at this point. But I was like, I am a believer. It's not there yet. It's not a today technology as I believe AI is. It's definitely tomorrow has some growing pains. But I was like, don't fall asleep on it. Don't, you know, yes, there's been a lot of hype right now. We're cutting in that well period. But I was like, definitely keep an eye on it. And and when you ask about future, that's the one that I think will just kind of explode. There's this rule of 10 and 10 in innovation. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, James. Like, so that from the time that something kind of first gets invented, right, to the first time that it kind of, rolls out it often takes 10 years and then for mass adoption it takes another 10 years so you know we'll hear this initial hype and then they'll be like ah that went away that was never a thing or whatever and then it comes back right because it's been kind of productized or refined or whatnot and then early adopters start getting in and then over the next 10 years it really picks up right so mobile phones a good example right kind of mobile phones and all of a sudden smartphones and now like look at how ubiquitous they are so and i i saw that a lot with a lot of business models and technologies that were rolled out during the dot-com boom in the late 90s. And they they failed because, frankly, hardware sucked at the time. Internet speeds sucked. And then once once internet speeds got up and hardware started being much better and we had a much better underlying software, people took the same models and just rehashed them and then they worked <laughs> and they were viable. And so it sometimes you have to wait for either culture or industry to catch up to the idea. And um, I feel that's that's the the case with augmented reality right now. Hololens two is so much better than Hololens one. Hololens one, Hololens one is amazing, and yeah, you, know, you have all this innovation and shakeup in AR that's going to radically change everything about the way we live and our houses are designed and businesses are designed. Um, it's just going to take a little while longer. It definitely took a decade or more to come up with those first really good versions. It'll easily take another decade to refine them enough that we get mass multi-billion person adoption with AR. Um, So I I agree completely. Unfortunately, it is time to wrap this conversation up. I would like you to tell people how they can find out where can they get your book. So tell them the title of the book and where they can get your book. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So it came out in February. It sold over 1,500 copies in over 10 countries. It's just been amazing. Um, it's got you know a ton of, of, of great reviews from folks. So it's called The End of Insurance as we know it. It's available exclusively on Amazon. It's sold in paperback uh, version and Kindle version. Um, and you can find out more about it, of course, on Amazon and on the book's website, endofinsurance.com. I've got um, podcast recordings, uh, video interviews, media articles, all sorts of goodies out there that kind of help for folks that want to know more about the book. Awesome. So endofinsurance.com. Go check that out today. And a big thank you to you, Rob. Thanks for being on the show today. And thanks for what you're doing in the industry. Absolutely. Appreciate the invite. So I love the conversation, James, and uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. Thanks for uh, jumping into this podcast space. Um, There's a lot of folks uh, that uh, have an interest in this space and are dying for this information around the world. So I know you're going to be huge in no time. That's awesome. Thanks a bunch. I really appreciate it. Uh, Just for all of our listeners out there, this is the InsureTech Geek Podcast powered by JB Knowledge. That's jbknowledge.com. It's all about technology. It's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com. Thank you for joining us this week. Look forward to talking to you soon. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out.